Welcome to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton. Now, in this episode, we have a special guest. His name is Ross McLeod, and he is the Head of Policy at the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust, the GWCT. Now, the GWCT is a charitable organization promoting game and wildlife management as part of nature conservation and biodiversity whilst working with the shooting and hunting communities. And this year, Waverton is sponsoring the GWCT Scottish Game Fair. Now, this is a celebration of the countryside, conservation, and the great outdoors. It's held in the beautiful grounds of Schoon Palace in Perthshire from the 30th of June to the 2nd of July. It features an array of activities, including fly casting, clay pigeon shooting, gun dogs, highland pony showing, falconry displays, and much, much more. For more information, do go to our website at waverton.co.uk. And in this episode, we have a wide-ranging conversation about GWCT's operations, conservation, and the promotion of biodiversity. We are also joined by Paris Jordan, our very own senior multi-asset analyst, who has a notable knowledge and experience in sustainable and ethical investments. So, without further ado, this is the Why Invest podcast. Ross McLeod and Paris Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Now, Ross, let's start with you and your background. What first drew you to the world of biodiversity? Well, I've always been brought up in the countryside, so it's always been sort of in my blood, if you like, an interest in what's going on in the landscape and, and what's happening. I did take a diversion into financial services for a while when I started my working career, but my family has run a small farm for quite a long time now. So I've always had that to come back to, and I've always been fascinated by the way in which production on farming can fit alongside biodiversity. So ultimately, that's really why I ended up with the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust. Okay, well, let's introduce the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust. What's the purpose and what's the sort of value proposition? Okay, so the Trust is a research and education charity. It's been in existence for 80 years. We employ 25 postdoctoral researchers and 50 other scientists. And I guess most people know us in connection with the conservation of game and wildlife species, but we've had a very long involvement in wider land management research. For instance, we've run the longest monitored project in the world measuring the impact of changes in farming and flora and fauna on arable land, which is called the Sussex Study, and that's been running 50 years now and featured in the National Geographic on that celebration year of 2018. We run two demonstration farms, one in Scotland and one in England, where both are researching the relationships between agricultural production, greenhouse gas emissions, soil health, water management, and biodiversity. And I guess it's in this arena where there's some really exciting prospects around the concept of natural capital, which has spawned a lot of interest in placing value on our natural assets around us. And I think that's really where things begin to open up for the trust now. Yeah. We'll come back to natural capital. But Paris, I want to ask, you know, how do we think about biodiversity when we're thinking about investments at Waverton? So these days, there is an interconnectivity between nature, biodiversity and any investment and corporate. 
So what we tend to find is that each business will be impacted by a different criteria, whether that's an environmental criteria, governance criteria, but on the environmental side, different businesses may be affected by different factors. So some of those factors will be things like drought. Some of those factors will be things like agricultural yields, depending on the business type. Therefore, when we're doing our assessment and analysis of um, a corporate, it's incredibly important for us to make sure we understand the risks related to those businesses. I just mentioned there about agricultural businesses. And when we're looking at um, that type of sector, we need to ensure that the practices they're doing are they're not uh, overly negative towards yields, food yields, and therefore the fertilization products that they produce are effective in increasing yield, but at the same time, they're not destructive so that uh, in future, obviously, they'll make less profit. So it's ensuring that each corporate is aware of the impacts of biodiversity related to their, their own products and services. Ross, just let's go back to that thought on natural capital. How do you define natural capital? And you know, has the definition changed over the years? It's evolving, that's for sure. And that's with um, increasing understanding about how we measure natural capital. But it can be defined as, as the world's stocks of, of natural assets, which include geology, air, soil, water, and all living things. And it's those assets that provide us services, which we call ecosystem services. And these comprise things like provisioning for food, fiber, timber, and energy, the regulation of climate, flood risk, and water quality, or even supporting services such as soil formation and cultural benefits too. In short, these services are the benefits that nature provides to mankind. So it's that growing recognition of the need to look after our natural assets, our natural capital, that has energized interest in land, the water and nature as an investment asset class, we think. Some might say it's been re-energized in an interest in this sector. It's just that I think we're beginning to value land in a totally different way from 5, 10, 20 years ago. To value land, presumably, you need some sort of measurement and management. I mean, are there sort of metrics that you can pull out? And perhaps you go first, Ross, and then Paris, you can come in on on the measurement, management and, and monitoring of some of these attributes. It's interesting in the UK with devolved administrations, but there's a lot of energy behind finding the right benchmarks and measures. So in England, for instance, there's a lot of energy behind Biodiversity Metric 3.2, which is underpinning the valuation of land in a sensible way for principally for offsetting purposes. In Scotland, that debate is still evolving. There's a lot of energy behind trying to come up with the right measures. But Scottish government has commissioned Scottish rural agricultural colleges to look into this and they've made a set of proposals to Scottish government and they propose to come up with that towards the end of the year. And that's really important because there is a danger otherwise that you get a plethora of different measures. So we do need some governance and some guidance around this so that there's a degree of commonality about the way in which we approach measurement, I think. And Paris, same question to you. I mean, how do we think about measurement and management when we're we're looking at uh, or sort of assessing value in our investments? And, you know, is there a sort of standardized set of uh, metrics that we can look at or or is it still pretty murky? 
I think that was a leading question there, Doug, because I think you know that there certainly is not a standardised measure when we're looking at investments specifically related to uh, natural capital and biodiversity. And following on from Ross's point there, there's lots of work going on for people to identify the best metrics. But ultimately, at the moment, different investment managers are looking at different criteria not just because it's identifying what's the best one, but as with anything in the assessment and analyst space, we, we also need the best quality data. So you know, how do you get the best quality data from corporates who are using different standards? But you know, what do we use? Do we look at deforestation numbers? Do we look at air and water pollution data? Do we look at the amount of water usage, carbon exposure? Do we look at a particular area of land and identify how many species are in that. Some organisations are using geospatial data. At the moment, it's a bit of a rogue area in some ways because there are just lots of different uh, metrics. I wouldn't say that any specific one is a solution on its own. Um, At the moment, it's a combination of many. And even then, it's really trying to clean up the data that we use. So that's where, in some ways, what we do at Waverton, we look at fundamental analysis and we really try to get to know the company. At this stage, you cannot use a quant measure to do a kind of a top-down assessment. You really need to know the businesses to understand what's impacting them and then identifying the right metric, trying to get as much data as possible. Now, we are excited about a number of frameworks and organizations that are working kind of together to identify the best data points, but these are evolving. They're evolving rapidly, but it's probably going to be a number of years before we really get standardization across the kind of natural capital, specifically biodiversity space. And Ross, I wonder where you think the sort of responsibility lies on this, because, you know, there are a sort of multitude of stakeholders. There are governments, there are landowners, there are consumers, there are corporates, and, you know, there are investment managers. Who needs to be sort of active in driving the change? And perhaps, you know, who has been active in driving the change thus far? It's a really interesting question. I think we need to look at this from two directions. I do think our administrations need to provide us with some confidence through governance frameworks, so looking at it top down. Um, But in the experience of GWCT, we do believe that bringing groups of farmers together to look after land at scale is a really good way to approach this bottom up, because by and large, the people on the ground know how to manage the biodiversity, know how to look after it, know what's there. So engaging both top down and bottom up, we think, is a, a very sensible approach. And this is something that the trust has been working on for about 10 years now through the principle of farmer clusters. And certainly in England now, there are about 100 of those covering 400,000 hectares of of land. And that's supported by a stewardship of facilitation funding. What sort of happens at these sort of farmer cluster meetings? How do the sort of conversations go? Because I suppose the danger is you don't want to get into a sort of finger wagging conversation where you know you mustn't do this because of this you must do that because of that i wonder what you know how sort of constructive are the conversations and you know maybe some examples of the kind of conversations that these farmers will be having with each other it is very important that there is a lead farmer within these groups and usually the person who is appointed to lead the cluster is someone who's well respected within that community and is prepared to work with everyone, as I mentioned earlier, to convene the groups, get them together, 
think about what it is that they want to look after in terms of whether it's a habitat or a species, they tend to cluster around that individual characteristic, that sort of charismatic leadership, if you like. And that's where they've been the most successful, I think. And Paris, I wonder if you can give some examples of, of companies that we've looked at who have been driving the change and have been kind of on the front foot with this. And I'd be tempted to try and get you to sort of give some examples of where it's gone wrong as well. So positives and negatives. Yeah, of course. Um, I think on the positive side, I mean, when it comes directly to things like renewables, actually looking for positive change and ensuring that uh, less climate damage is done um, via our Real Assets Fund. We have a, a number of fantastic businesses, specifically wind farms. So we're really looking at investing in businesses that are on the solutions side. Your second question related to where things have gone wrong. I wouldn't explicitly say things have gone wrong. I would say that businesses have perhaps not taken strides in ways that we had either expected of them or we wanted from them. What that means is that potentially the strategies that they've written, you know, they've put a five-year plan or a 10-year plan and that, that hasn't come to fruition. Or there's been a situation, and you know, we've seen it at the moment, where because of the macro environment, something like interest rates and inflation and margins has really put a pause on some of their transition plans. That's where the, I would say, things have um, kind of gone not right rather than wrong itself. And at that stage, it's up to our analysts and investment team to engage with those companies and assess whether they think they either can get back on track, whether they are willing to change some of that strategy, or just understand what that management team are trying to do to make sure that their businesses are fit for purpose for future. And I want to turn to the future and see if you can dust off your crystal balls and... Um ask what the future holds for the industry. What does the future hold for natural capital? And maybe that you can talk to the metrics that may be put in place or the progress that we may be able to make. Ross, why didn't you go first? Uh, I think that there are enormous prospects. First of all, there's that pent-up energy to look at the sector, to understand, to recognize that our, our natural assets are threatened through climate change and biodiversity loss. And that is definitely concentrating minds. It needs to go a lot further and a lot quicker, and that's why the governance aspects become very important around the baseline measurements. In Scotland, at least, there is a huge amount of energy being invested in this through the Scottish Nature Finance Pioneers Group, which is looking at all kinds of options all the time to come up with baseline measurements of biodiversity. But I think what we'll see is a couple of key things. First of all, land managers will be expected to understand the balance between carbon sequestration on their ground and the greenhouse gas emissions that are happening as a result of their activities. So that's, that's one sort of building block. The second will be around measurements of biodiversity. And here I think we'll see a, a basket of, of measures. So there may be, depending upon the type of habitat, there might be measures around the number of invertebrates, the number of bird species and the condition of habitats. And when you put that all together, you get a composite understanding of what is happening. I think the key beyond that is to make sure that we're doing this at scale. If investors from your sector are looking for advantage, we need to be doing this at big landscape scale. So that's, again, where the idea of clusters comes back in so that we can reduce the transaction costs for everyone 
in doing that at the same time as deriving a really significant biodiversity dividend. And I was turning to you, Paris, the sort of ESG genie is out of the box and there seems to be a fairly large of industrialized complex around the topic. I wonder from an investment perspective, what does the future hold in this space? That is a huge question, Doug, but a very exciting one. And for those of us who have been working in the ESG investment space, touching on all things from natural capital, biodiversity, through to other social impacts, the space of natural capital is just huge and rapidly growing. We're expecting a huge carbon compliance market to grow. We've barely touched upon that at the moment, but you know the global compliance market for carbon, and that's for companies at the moment, is around 172 billion. And we're expecting that to be a trillion by 2030. So, you know, six times within a short amount of space. The voluntary carbon market is set to grow. So companies are absolutely paying attention to the amount of carbon they're emitting and how they're offsetting that and how they're reducing it as well. We've got businesses, governments, industry groups all working incredibly rapidly to set up frameworks because they just know how important uh, nature is to planets and also investment. What's going to be particularly interesting will be how much climate risk starts to actually be calculated within investment processes. Um, There are estimates that even sovereigns will see credit rating downgrades because of climate change risk. So I think they've estimated about 63 sovereigns will be downgraded just because of that. People recognise now that we've got a huge amount of biodiversity loss, we've got a lot of pollution, and we've got an exceptional amount of deforestation. And nature has provided economic opportunities over the years. And as nature is starting to suffer, we need to adapt those. There are a huge amount of funds, investment projects, uh, new types of vehicles that are being released and announced as well. So this space has huge opportunity and the potential is is really wide hence why we are at Waverton looking at these types of issues at a corporate level but also considering them at a wider macro level ensuring that we we capture some of these opportunities for our investors and then final question to both of you and I ask everyone this question but um, what advice would you give to our younger listeners who are looking to pursue a career in this space and perhaps you know Ross you can talk more about biodiversity and perhaps Paris, you can talk more about the sort of investment behind it. So Ross, you go first. What skills do our younger listeners need to equip themselves with to be successful? Gosh, that's a really good question. But I'm an old lag within GWCT now. So I look at the uh, younger ecologists coming through the group and I think the prospects for them are, are fantastic. I think the basic skill sets really require understanding of biodiversity, a real passion for monitoring getting to grips with species, interpretation, understanding what's there, identification. These are really important things because they'll form the bedrock of of the baseline measurements that we need to look at in future. I think good understanding too, and I think this is going to be really critical, is being able to balance advice to people on the ground, land managers, companies, about that mix between productive activity and biodiversity stewardship. And that's a really challenging skill mix to bring together. But I think that's where things really need to go so that you balance business with a sense of understanding about how we look after biodiversity. 
And over to you, Paris, same question. It's a, a fantastic question and a very exciting space. So anybody that's looking to go into it will be very fulfilled. There are so many different avenues that you can pursue, you know, from an investment side of things, you can look at the more, you know, sustainable strategist way, um, look at it on a kind of a top-down level, looking at regulatory policy, what governments are doing. Um, but then on, from a really bottom-up perspective, you can focus on a specific sector and understand how it's interlinked with the planet, how its profits affect the inputs that are coming from nature and vice versa as well. There's just a huge amount of work to do in the space and anyone with a bit of passion and can help solve many of the issues that we've got will find it to be a very rewarding space to work in. I know I certainly do. And we've only really touched upon a, a few things today. It's an incredibly interesting space. Paris Jordan, Ross McLeod, thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton, and our guests this week, Paris Jordan and Ross McLeod. If you've enjoyed this episode or indeed the series, why not like us, subscribe to us, and let your friends and colleagues know. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security.